The Gospel of Luke is, excuse me, the Gospel is found most prominently in Luke chapter 2, but we're going to be a little bit all over the place today. We're going to jump around to a few different passages. They're going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, just keep those handy. And we had this little Christmas series we were going to go through, and because of Pastor Mel's passing, we've decided to go another route. But today we're going to look at questions and answers about the Christmas story that are less known. Questions and answers that I didn't know growing up that I had to do a little bit of digging about, things that are about the Christmas story, but things that are a little bit deeper than the surface level story. And I think there's going to be a very powerful point to land on as we do that. So we're calling our lesson today, The Perfect Lamb. The Perfect Lamb. And we are going to make camp in the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to jump around a little bit as well. But before we get there, it is Christmas time. And I want to know from the audience before I give out my top 10, did you have any Christmas traditions growing up? Did you have any weird Christmas traditions growing up? Did anybody do things that were outside of the norm of mainstream Christianity that you want to confess and say, I don't know why we did this, but we did this, or we still do this? Anyone have a tradition? I'm going to give you my top ten, and I'm going to give you a chance to fellowship with me. Anyone out there? Well, go ahead, TG. Thank you. A staple of our Christmas meal is something called fish machinka, which is fish gravy. Fish gravy. Do you know where that started? No. Do you put it on the, t- on the turkey, or what do you put it on? We, like, dip bread in it. Bread, really? Yeah. Fish gravy? Does it taste like fish? I, yeah, there's fish in it. Okay. All right. It's, it's, it's not that weird. I mean, I've never had fish gravy, but I would try it. Dipping bread in it sounds kind of good. I will dip bread in anything, though, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm going to give you my top ten weirdest tr- Christmas traditions all over the world, okay? These are really bizarre um, maybe you've heard of these. Maybe you do some of these. I doubt it. I don't know why you would. And I'm going to lean upon Christy for the top, for the first two here, because the first two come from Germany. And Christy has validated that these actually are traditions in Germany, as bizarre as they are. But let's start with one of our darker ones, okay? It is something called Krampus. Krampus. Now, the night of December 6th, they call it Krampusnacht. Krampus knot? Krampus night. The legend states that Krampus comes out in search of naughty children. Anyone terrified yet? While the well-behaved children will wake on December 6th to see presents in their shoes from St. Nicholas. We're used to that one. Maybe not the shoes part. The bad children will find a rod from Krampus. Or worse, will be collected by him and taken back to his lair. Is that a real thing? In the underworld. In the underworld. <laughs> Children, linger on that picture for a moment. We're going to make sure those nightmares are... Krampus is going to come get you. No, I mean, think about the song we have about Santa and then insert Krampus. It is the most terrifying song you've ever heard. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Be good, for goodness sake. Okay, so then we're going to get past that one because that one's super dark and weird. Where did that come from? Sure. Dark, like, I want to visit. Scare children. <laughs> oh, boy. Don't watch that movie. Here's number nine, okay? And also from Germany. It is called The Christmas Pickle. The Christ- Who's heard of The Christmas Pickle? You guys have... Wow. Who does The Christmas Pickle? You Really? I have never heard of anybody that does The Christmas Pickle. I'm getting you a pickle. 
I'll take it. I'll take it. Just don't get me Krampus. Um, well, let me explain. The glass pickle, for some reason it's glass, is a shaped ornament. Well, it, there's some debate on that. The glass pickle-shaped ornament was traditionally hidden last after the rest of the tree had been decorated. On Christmas morning, the child who found the pickle would either receive an additional present or be the one to open their presents first. For adults, being the first to spot the pickle is thought to be good luck. Does that line up with the pickle traditions your family has, pretty much? Yeah, find the pickle, right? I, I've never done this tradition, but I will say I was in the store yesterday looking for pickles. Okay, it was on my list, and it took a long time. I didn't know where the pickles were. I, I found pickle. No, I didn't find a pickle ornament. I was looking for pickles, like jar of pickles. And not only did it was it hard to find, but when I got to the pickles, there were 30. Did you guys know there's like 30 different kinds of pickles? I was there looking at pickles like it was a Hallmark card. Picking them up, rotating it, and then putting it back. I don't like how that one touched me. Let's find another one. So I don't know why I added that. That just seemed odd. The, Germ the Germany Christmas pickle. Here's number eight. This one comes from a, a nation called Catalonia. Anyone ever heard of Catalonia? They have something called... The, the nation sounds made up. Well, this is really going to sound strange then. This is called... You'll humor me because I'm a pastor. I don't use these words often. But this is called the poop log. The poop log. Tio de Nadal is the actual term. Is the Catalan poop log. An exceptionally unique Christmas tradition in this part of Spain. Crafted by hand, this little wooden character made of a stick and art supplies is treated kindly from December 8th to the 24th when children offer him nuts, fruit, and cover him in a blanket for warmth. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> Things get a little weird after that. On Christmas Eve, they beat him with sticks <laughs> while singing a traditional song. So think of your favorite traditional Christmas song while you're beating the poop stick, the poop log with sticks. Following the beating, they lift up the blanket to reveal the log has pooped a pile of candy for their enjoyment. It's basically a pinata with, with a crass tone. So, so if you want to grab onto that tradition, that would be wonderful. Get me pictures and videos when you do of your children, after they find the pickle, of course. Here's number seven. They're getting even weirder. Number seven is from South Wales. South Wales. Probably don't visit this one. South Wales tradition certainly has some frightening aspects. Spawning from pagan rituals in the region, Mary Lude, I don't know whoever that is, sees a singing group of people decked out as skeletal horses. And they arrive at the door of your home, or more traditionally a pub, and challenge you to a rhyming competition. If you can sing or out-rhyme the gray mare, you win. But if they win, they're invited in for food and drink. They traditionally sing another song before departing as well. So imagine... It's Christmas Eve, and you get a knock at the door, and it is a skeleton horse challenging you to a rap contest, basically a rap off. And if you lose, the skeleton horse will be sitting next to you on your couch with a cup of coffee, singing and dancing. What's that? Yeah, he just leaves. You want, do you want the horse, or do you not want the horse? Oh, you don't want the horse. Okay. Yeah, that's terrifying. Here's number six, not quite as frightening, but definitely as weird. In Japan, now um, let me ask you this. What's your which traditional Christmas meal? Because we know what Thanksgiving is. What's the traditional Christmas meal? Is it ham? Is it turkey? Is it duck? 
Goose in Germany. What's that? Ham? Okay. In Japan, it's KFC. Not just chicken, either. Not just chicken. Forget the Christmas turkey. For many Japanese, traditional Christmas dinner is Kentucky Fried Chicken. During the run-up to Christmas, Colonel Sanders statues outside KFC's Japanese outlets wear Santa gear. The chicken is served as a special holiday packaging. So there's a KFC in Clark Summit, guys. And that, for that meal I mentioned on the 22nd here at the church building, how about some buckets of chicken? Anyone? Yes, that sounds like a lovely tradition. Here's number five from, from Caracas. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Caracas, number five, Christmas tradition. In the week leading up to Christmas, Venezuelans attend a daily church service called Misa de Aguinaldo. In the capital, Caracas, it is customary to travel to the church service on rollerblades. Indeed, so widespread is the practice, many roads in the capital are closed until 8 a.m. to provide a safe passage for the rollerbladers. Now, that's something we haven't tried yet. Next Sunday, 8 a.m., I want everybody at the bottom of 315, okay? We're going to rollerblade all the way up to church. It's going to be great and unifying. Now, number four, sometimes you eat special Christmas cookies, and sometimes if you go to Grandma's house, she'll make you eat the traditional, you know, Brussels sprout or something weird. Well, in Greenland, they have something even weirder. Next time you find yourself complaining about your granny's festive Brussels sprouts, spare a thought for the poor tykes in Greenland. Each Christmas, they have to tuck into what's called matic. It is rail, excuse me, raw whale skin with a little blubber. Just a tad, a tad of blubber, which is made by wrapping an auk, a small arctic bird, in seal skin, burying it for several months, and eating its decomposed flesh. Now, is anyone hungry? No. <laughs> now, the fish gravy versus the whale blubber, I'll take fish gravy a thousand times. I'm not eating the whale blubber. I guess that's what it looks like. That's kind of bizarre. In three, we get a little dark again in Guatemala. Now, we know what the Christmas message is about, right? The Christmas message, you can honor the Lord. We always say this little thing, you know, keep Christ in the center of Christmas. Christ is the reason for the season. But there's another way to honor someone that you love is knock down their enemy. Well, in Guatemala, every 7th of December at 6 p.m. sharp, it's not uncommon to see three-foot-tall effigy of the devil burning in the streets of Guatemala City with the sound of firecrackers resonating in the background and people cheering. A little weird, right? So in Guatemala, if you really want to get festive, go burn the devil with them. <laughs> and uh, that would be a fun time, right? We look forward to that. Here's number two. For all the single ladies out there, um, they have something called the shoe tossing. On Christmas Eve, unmarried Czech women stand with their back to the door and toss one of their shoes over their shoulder. If it lands with the toe facing the door, it means they'll be married within the year. If it lands with the heel facing the door, they're in for another year of watching Bridget Jones movies. Perhaps it's better than marrying a heel, though. But I'm... There you go, the shoe tossing. And here's number one. Our strangest, our weirdest comes from, you would guess it, America. America has the strangest. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you hadn't. But I'm going to set this one up. In a specific American household, there's one unique man who began a tradition that continues to this day. He customarily would receive a pair of festive boxers in his stocking, which he would then don on the top of his head for a picture. 
followed by wearing those two stockings on his feet while he sipped a cup of coffee. Have you ever heard of this tradition? Well, you should because it's your pastor. Almost didn't show that. But since we're going weird, I went weird. And uh, it's nice to laugh again, especially at me. So, yeah, that's a real tradition. My sister gets me a pair of boxers every year on the head for some reason. And I put the stockings on my feet, and every year we get a picture similar to that, don't we? So, if the poop log doesn't work out, guys, you can go that route. And, uh, of course, we like to have fun here at Wyoming Valley Church. But you'll forgive me as I transition out of that somehow. Because today we're going to talk about Christmas. Now, there is a traditional Christmas story that we all love and we should love, and it's a tremendous story. Today we're going to look at sort of the non-traditional take on Christmas. I'm going to look at five questions and answers about the Christmas story that often go overlooked or unanswered, okay? We know that Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, came to this earth to become the sacrifice that we needed for our sins. And it's such a profound story that we give an entire season to celebrating that story and that message. And we should. But today we're going to answer some of the most overlooked questions about the Christmas story. Questions that all circle around the idea of Jesus becoming our perfect lamb. That's what we're looking at today. And hopefully by answering these five questions, we will all appreciate the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus more and then be willing to hand him our entire lives as a similar sacrifice for what he's done for us. So let's get into our five questions. We don't have notes for you today. If you're taking notes, we simply have five questions with five answers to those questions, okay? With a little bit of application at the end. That's kind of our outline today. So let's get into our first question. And it's this, and maybe you know this answer already, and maybe you don't. It's this, why did Jesus have to become a man? Why did he have to become a man? I'm going to take your Bibles, or take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 2, and we're going to look at verses 5 to 8. If you want to look on the screen, the passage will be on the screen, because this is what it says in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself and taking the form of a servant, and listen to this part, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we often, thanks to Hollywood, picture Jesus as a man, do we not? Oddly enough, a white man with long flowing locks for some reason. But in heaven, did you know that in heaven, Jesus was not a man? Before he came to this earth, Jesus was not a man. Just like God, he was spirit. Spirit. Jesus did not have a physical body like you and I do. There was no need for it. But he became a man when he came to this earth. And the question is why? Why would Jesus have to become a man? Why would he not just come down and save us all supernaturally with no need for a physical body? Because he could, right? Theoretically. And the reason is this. The answer is this. Jesus had to become a man because Jesus had to become our perfect representative. Our perfect sacrifice. Man's perfect sacrifice. Jesus came to save mankind from the mess that we had made, and we made a huge mess with our sin. And Jesus then had to step in the place of man's punishment for that sin, and he had to die our death, as TGD referred to. Jesus had to die the death that we were about to die for sin. 
And the Son of God in spirit form is not capable of dying. Did you know that? He's immortal. Jesus the Spirit is immortal. Could not die and he would not die because God the Spirit is eternal. So Jesus had to become a mortal man. He had to take on flesh. He had to take on the punishment for our sins, the punishment that mortal man was destined for, and the only way to do that was to become like us. That's what Philippians says. He became in the likeness of men. And maybe you know this one. Maybe this is more common than the other four, but we're probably sitting here nodding at this going, that makes sense. He couldn't die as a spirit, so he became a man. Logically, I can follow that. But that should not make sense to us. That story should not make sense. The God, the Son of God in spirit form saw his creation drowning in our sins. So he decided to become us in order to die for us and to save us from the sins that we committed. Is that like any other story you've ever heard? Can you think of any similarity in a story that is like that one? God the Spirit saw his creation wallowing in their sin, dying in their sin, and he decided to become like them so he could die for them, take their punishment, and give them eternal life. Guys, we've become numb to this story. We really have. We've become numb to the story as if it's like every other story we hear, but it's not. This story is mind-blowing. It still blows my mind when I really think about it. And the thing about this story is it's absolute truth. It's absolute truth. It happened, it's true, and all of eternity is based upon this. Now, I'm going to use a silly illustration to sort of help us understand what that would have been like, okay? And this is going to fall well short of the reality of the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. But at least it can help us understand and consider what it would have been like. I want you to imagine that you were the creator of the ants. Ants, little ants, exactly like you're thinking. You created the ants and you loved the ants and you enjoyed watching the ants act according to how you created them. You were their creator, you loved them. Then one day everything went awry. And the ants all started acting contrary to the way you had created them, and they all started to try to kill each other. And you looked down and you were devastated because that's not the design that you gave the ants. But the ants were all going to destroy each other unless you stepped in and stopped them. But your only option was to become an ant, enter their world and live with them in their evil world. And the only way to save those ants was to let those ants that you created all swarm around you and kill you. Now that's not close to what happened because ants are not made in our image. We're not the creator of ants. God is. And we don't have the capability, ants don't have the capability to abuse us and to crucify us like mankind did to Jesus. But perhaps you can at least see how amazing this story is. It's shocking. The spirit Jesus became a man because he was not willing for us to die in our sins. He was not going to stand idly by while we ruined ourselves. But the cost of saving us was extraordinary to consider and even more to accomplish. Jesus became a man because man needed a representative from their own kind to save them from the mess that they had made. And our Lord Jesus said yes to this plan. The humility that this took for our Jesus is off the charts. Jesus is the perfect lamb. Now that's enough to chew on right there, but we've got to keep moving because we have four more questions we want to get to. Question number two is, 
Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and let's read a few verses from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. This is the news of his mother Mary receiving word that she was going to have a child. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and as of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now we all know by now Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. It's common knowledge to almost everybody, even those who aren't religious. But the reasons why Jesus was born as a virgin might not be as clear in our minds. Because Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Had to be. He had to be born by supernatural means for a very important reason. And here's the reason. If Jesus would have been born from the seed of Joseph, then Jesus would have been a sinner by nature. He would have been contaminated by the sinfulness that started all the way back with Adam and Eve, like the rest of us. See, even though we all choose sin, we are sinners by birth because our parents were sinners. Their parents were sinners, and their parents were sinners, and all the way back to our original parents, Adam and Eve. Just like apples make apples, excuse me, apple trees make apples, sinners also make sinners. And there was no way for Jesus to not be born a sinner upon this earth unless he broke the cycle. And a sinner was not going to be able to be the perfect Lamb of God, was he? A sinner could not save us from our sins. He had to be capable of paying for our sins and giving us full righteousness in the eyes of God. We needed a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, a lamb of purity and holiness. Therefore, Jesus had to come through a virgin. And his earthly mother Mary was a virgin. She had no sexual union with any man, even Joseph, her husband, or soon-to-be husband. So when Mary found out that she was pregnant, she discovered that she was pregnant by supernatural means through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, her coming baby boy would be born righteous, and he would be able to be the perfect Lamb of God. Jesus was born a man, but he was not a child of man, but of the Holy Spirit. This conception was holy. It was unlike any conception before it or since. Jesus was sent to be the Savior of the world. Therefore, every I was going to be dotted. Every T was going to be crossed. So that God's people could be sufficiently saved from their sins. Aren't you thankful for those details? Those details matter to us guys. That Jesus was born a virgin is very important for our souls. Jesus is the perfect lamb. He became a man and he was born through a virgin for our sake. 
We're alive today because of those details. Question three is this. Why was Jesus born as a baby? I've asked this question before in my mind, going, why did he have to come as a baby? Because think about that. Not only did he become one of us, but he started as a baby. Let's read it in Luke 2, verses 1 to 7, the classic gospel story here. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all the world went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. If we simply needed a Savior, which we did, why did Jesus have to be born? Why not make Jesus a full adult male, send him down to earth, let him be rejected and suffer for a little while, and then be crucified? Why not? Why did Jesus have to live an entire life starting from birth? Isn't that a really good question? Why? Why come as a baby? Have you ever thought what it must have been like for Jesus to lose everything in heaven? He's the Son of God. And he lost everything, even to the point of becoming an infant. Consider that humility. Consider the humiliation for Jesus, the Son of God, to become his own creation and to become an infant and a baby. What if you had to do that now? Honestly, what if you had to do that right now? Take everything you know, all the wisdom and experience you have gained, including the physical growth and accomplishments you've had, and lose them all. And start over as a baby again. Knowledge, have the knowledge that you'd have to do that. That would be immensely difficult. And, not only this, but be nursed and raised by the people that you created. I mean, let that hit you for a moment, because that's what our Lord Jesus did. He became his own creation, and he let his own creation nurse and raise him as a little child. See, but that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what Jesus had to go through, because Jesus is God. He's the creator of everything. He's the darling of heaven. For the Son of God to become a baby boy in the earth is almost incomprehensible. It really is. It's almost beyond my own ability to comprehend it. And we don't need to get complicated here. There was no hybrid thing going on, okay? There was no adult baby thing happening. That Jesus was a baby, but he was really had an adult mind or anything like that. Jesus actually, literally became a baby. As much baby as you and I were, as much baby as my little baby Thurmond is, Jesus became a baby. But why? What's the point? And the reason for this is very powerful. Jesus was born as a baby because Jesus had to live the very same life that we do with no shortcuts. Did you know that? Jesus had to descend to full humility in order to become our perfect lamb, our perfect representative. Being kind of like us was not going to accomplish God's plan of salvation. Jesus had to experience everything that you and I experience, even descending to further depths of suffering and humiliation than you and I do. Because we did not just need a savior. We needed a captain. We needed a shepherd in this sin-cursed world. And the best kind of captain 
is the one who has been on the very same battlefields that his army is now on. We need a true and intimate fellowship with someone who knew every sort of suffering and difficulty that we would face. Jesus became a baby and he went the extra mile of experiencing everything that we experience so that he could say this to us and mean it. I know what you're going through. I've been there and I can help you. I've been on those battlefields. I've been in those trenches. I've suffered what you're suffering. Everything you're going through, I've been there. Jesus is the perfect lamb. The perfect lamb. He became a man. He was born of a virgin. and He became a baby. All for you and all for me. Question four is, why did Jesus have to be rejected? Why did he have to suffer so much? Why? In Luke chapter 9, it says this, several chapters later, in verse 21, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. The question is, why did Jesus come to the earth? We all would say he came to die. He came to give up his life. If that's true, then why did he have to go through all of those horrible things before his death? Why not just minister to some people, do some miracles, up to the point where the Jews couldn't take it anymore and they crucified him? Why not just go that route? Why did he have to endure such loneliness, such rejection, such misery his whole life? Wasn't death on a cross enough punishment for our sins? In Isaiah 53, it says this about our Lord Jesus. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. My family has experienced great grief in these past several weeks and have thought of that. My Lord is a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. But wasn't the cross enough? Isn't the cross enough to save us from our sins? And the honest answer, guys, is no, it's not. It's not. Jesus had to be rejected by his own creation, his own people, his own Jewish people. He had to suffer greatly because he had to pay for all the sins of mankind. And sin always brings isolation. It always brings shame. And Jesus had to experience every ounce of human loneliness and suffering that sin results in. Jesus had to pay the full debt of sin. Every ounce of it. He did not get a discount on paying for our sins because he was the Son of God. He became our perfect lamb. And sin devastates our lives. If you know it, you know that is true. Sin devastates our lives, does it not? Therefore, Jesus' life was devastated by sin. Our sinful choices ruined his life. But he did it willingly. And there was another important reason for why Jesus had to suffer so much. He was not going to help us on the narrow, difficult path if he did not suffer. Jesus was going to call you and I to walk this narrow, difficult path that leads to eternal life. And not only was he going to call us to it, but he was going to walk it himself before us and lead us through it. Aren't you thankful for that? 
He's not up in heaven saying, hey, good luck. I hope you get here. He's taking us through it step by step every single day of our lives. So whatever suffering we have to endure, Jesus will endure it first. He will experience it first and he will conquer it so that we will have the strength and courage to walk it also. And I believe, Mom, that's what you've experienced for the last several days. Where did that strength come from? It came from the perfect lamb. He walked it first. He gave it to us first. And he said, I can help you. Because Jesus is the perfect lamb. He became a man. He was born of a virgin. He became a baby and he suffered immensely for our sake. Now we have one final question today before we close. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? In Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, it says this, And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to, to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But it doesn't say the wages of sin is death on a cross. It's not what it says. So why did Jesus have to die on a cross? We know he had to die, but why die that way? That's the question we want to end on today. Why did Jesus have to die the worst death that man ever imagined? Because that's what the cross was. Wouldn't a humane death have accomplished our sacrifice? Maybe even a public beheading, something quick? Why couldn't he die that way and accomplish our sacrifice and salvation in an easier way? And quite simply, it's this. The death of Jesus had to model what true rejection, true shame, and true suffering looks like when sin is paid for. When Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, it's referring to eternal death. Did you know that? Not death, because everyone dies. That's not what Romans 6.23 is saying. The wages of sin is condemnation. It's referring to the eternal lake of fire. The worst punishment that there ever could be is hell, because hell is both God's wrath and God's separation from his sinners, from sinners. And the cross represented the worst of mankind. The cross was reserved for the worst criminals, the chronic, the serial criminals who hurt people over and over and over. Crucifixion was created as a public example of what will happen to the worst of people when they don't submit to the law of the land, when they continually hurt other people. The cross was as close to hell on earth as you could find. Consider that. When someone was crucified, they were mocked, they were scorned. They were dragged. They were spit upon. They were humiliated to every possible degree so that the lasting, lingering experience of death could last as long, be as bloody and painful and slow as possible. I don't like saying it, but it's a reality. And even if the physical suffering was as bad as we can imagine, 
it was nothing compared to what Jesus suffered spiritually when his own heavenly Father, God, turned his back on Jesus and broke the eternal fellowship with his Son. See, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified at midday. It was noon. And at noon until 3 p.m., the sky went completely dark. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross was specially reserved for Jesus. Not because he had committed any evil. Because he did not. The cross was reserved for Jesus because he was the perfect lamb. And because Jesus had to drink down the very same suffering, the very same humiliation, the very same death that was reserved for you and I for all eternity, Jesus drank down our hell. Jesus is the perfect lamb. He became a man. He was born through a virgin. He became a baby. He suffered immensely. And he was crucified. All for us. These are the often concealed truths of the gospel or the Christmas story. And I want us to appreciate them. I want us to think about them this Christmas season. I want us to go deeper than the surface level of the Christmas story. I want us to think about Jesus becoming the perfect Lamb of God. Because he was and he remains our only chance at salvation. Without that perfect lamb, we're all doomed. We're all doomed. Unless Jesus became the perfect lamb of God. And he did. Because both God and both Jesus said yes to the plan of Jesus' humiliation, Jesus' rejection, Jesus' suffering, and Jesus' death because they love us that much. So the question is this, is what do these gospel truths teach us? And I have five things I want to end on today. What should these gospel truths teach us? What should we do based on what we just learned? And number one is this. Do you understand how heinous sin is? If Jesus had to endure all of this just because of sin, that was the only reason. Sin is devastating and deadly, guys. Don't touch sin with a 10-foot pole. Sin is deadly and heinous in the eyes of God. Sin caused all of this mess. Therefore, wage war against sin and wage war against Satan. Sin is still evil. And the wages of sin is still death. Follow your Lord Jesus. Follow his pattern. Line up behind his teaching and his commandments. Number two is, do you understand why rejecting Jesus is the worst crime there ever was? Do you understand why Jesus said about some towns it's going to be worse for you than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah on the last day? Because you rejected the message of the gospel. The worst sort of crime and the worst sort of punishment will be those reserved for those who reject the message of the gospel. God himself is going to avenge the rejection of his son's gift of love. If that gift comes to your door and you slam the door on Jesus' face, that will be the greatest crime ever committed. If we reject Jesus and we will deserve the greatest death, the greatest suffering that God could ever imagine. Number three is, do you understand that you're never alone in this journey? And I've really relied upon that these past few weeks. I'm never alone in this journey. Jesus came not only to die for us, but to be with us every step of the way. 
He could say to you, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how deep and how severe and how lonely it feels. He can say to you, I know what that's like. I've been there and I can help you. Do you know that brings peace to your soul? That brings strength to your legs? Lines that you are. You can find comfort and strength from Jesus in your difficulties, in the midst of the storm, because Jesus is there with you. Number four, do you understand that Jesus is worthy of your entire life? He's the creator of everything, and yet he thought you and I were worthy of his entire life. That's what Jesus said. They're worthy of my death and my sacrifice. Therefore, how much more worthy is Jesus of our life? Can there be any greater purpose and any greater love than to live purely for Jesus? Can you find a greater purpose than that? To live for the creator that became a man and a baby and suffered greatly and died on a cross for your sake. Can you find a greater love than that? Can you find a greater purpose than that? For your life? And the answer is no. Number five is this. Do you understand how much God and Jesus love you? They spared nothing, and I mean nothing, in redeeming us from our sin and the eternal consequences of that sin. Can anyone match that love in your life? Anyone. Can you find it in a parent? Or a child? Or a spouse? Or a friend? Can you find that kind of love anywhere? And if the answer is no, certainly I cannot, then why not love the one who loves you the most? Why is it so hard to find people that give their lives to Jesus Christ if they understand that he was their perfect lamb? See, Jesus became the perfect lamb of God. Nay, Jesus became your perfect lamb of God. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be saved from the chains of sin and death. You can find eternal life and hope beyond the grave. You can find peace with God for all eternity. And you can have God fighting on your team for the rest of your life. But only if you believe in the perfect lamb. Only if you give your life to the perfect lamb. Only if you follow the perfect lamb's example for the rest of your life. That is the gospel message. Live for him because he died for you. Jesus has given you more than anyone ever could. And I want you to think about this this Christmas. There's been no greater gift than the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And I believe it's time to recognize that he alone deserves our everything. Let us stop trying to find in this world what only the perfect lamb can offer us. And let us run to his arms and never, ever leave them. Because Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He's the reason for everything in this world. And Jesus thought that you were worthy of his everything. In reality, Jesus is worthy of our everything. And I would ask you today to consider and to pray and to think about giving Jesus your entire life and holding nothing back because he first did it for you. Can we bow in prayer? Father, I thank you for the message today, and I hope this was helpful for those souls sitting here in this room. I know it was profoundly helpful for my soul. Father, I just ask you to help us think about Jesus today. We move too quickly in this life. We gloss over things too much. We spend our life on the surface when we should go deeper. Father, today we've gone a little deeper. We've considered things that most people don't consider about the Christmas message. But I pray that we wouldn't just consider them, Father. We would consider what is the point of them. 
What is the point of Jesus becoming my perfect lamb? What is the point of him becoming a man? Becoming a baby? Being born of a virgin? Suffering immensely and dying on a cross? What was the point of all that? Why is that important for my soul? Why is that important for my hope? And that I would look inwardly and everyone here would look inwardly and say, what does he deserve because of that? Father, help us this Christmas season to line up behind our Lord Jesus and say, my life is his. And I'm going to love and serve and glorify him for the rest of my life because he's so worthy. Father, thank you for this Christmas message. I pray that you would bless us as we leave. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.